Welcome back to the Evidence-Based Rheumatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 25, the comparison of individually tailored versus fixed schedule rituximab regimen to maintain ANCA-associated vasculitis remission, results of a multicenter randomized controlled phase 3 trial, Mainritzen 2. In short, this is the trial that assesses how we should be dosing rituximab for maintenance of ANCA-associated vasculitis. That's still not very short, but we're going to go on from there. I wanted to talk about this trial because this is a common clinical question that I have. You have a patient with ANCA-associated vasculitis, either GPA or MPA, and you give them either cyclophosphamide or rituximab to induce remission. Now, once you've induced remission, what should you do? A lot of people these days just treat with rituximab. In particular, the first main risk trial showed that rituximab was superior to azathioprine, and it wasn't really close. At month 28, 5% in the rituximab group versus 29% in the azathioprine group experienced a relapse. So most of us are doing rituximab for maintenance these days. But how much should you give, and how often? I think a common practice is just to give a gram of rituximab every 6 months. Some people will do a gram at one week and then two weeks later give another gram. Some people will give half a gram. Some people will give a gram and then try to space. There's really no uniformity in how we're practicing. And the reason for that is that there hasn't been a very definitive trial telling us what the right way to use rituximab is. For a medicine that costs over $10,000 per dose, it's worth asking. So to that end, these authors designed a large, multi-center trial pitting rituximab at a fixed schedule against rituximab at a variable schedule that was based off of ANCA titers and B-cell monitoring. So to get into the study, patients had to have either granulomatosis polyangiitis, GPA, or microscopic polyangiitis, MPA as defined by the Chapel Hill Consensus Nomenclature. They also had to be in complete remission after induction therapy. Induction could be either cytoxin and glucocorticoids or rituximab, I guess, or methotrexate. Investigators decided this. It was technically an open-label study. So remission was defined as a BVAS, or a Birmingham Vasculitis Activity Score, of zero, which makes sense. They had a number of exclusion criteria that were all pretty reasonable. Things like having another vasculitis, getting atypical regimens for um, induction therapy, various comorbidities. As I just said, this wasn't technically a double-blind trial. Both the patients and the treating physician were aware of which group they were assigned to. So that is one significant limitation. To the author's credit, they did have a blinded monitoring group that was responsible for assessing all relapses. The benefit of that is that it does help to some degree mitigate the issues of unblinding, so the tailored infusion arm would get 500 milligrams of rituximab at randomization, and then what they did is they tracked their ANCA and their CD19 positive B lymphocyte levels every three months. They would give another 500 milligrams of rituximab when the ANCA status differed from the previous time. So by differed, either the IF had gone up by a greater than 2 dilution titer or a doubling of the PR3 or MPO. Either of those would count. B cells were considered to have gone up if they exceeded zero. Now, the control group would just get rituximab, 500 milligrams, at day 0 and 14, and then every six months thereafter. Pretty straightforward. This is a concern that I had with this trial. You know, they're using less rituxan than a lot of us do. Most of often we'll just write for a gram. So you start to wonder at the beginning, what if they had used a larger amount of rituximab? Would it have perhaps lasted longer? Things like that. It doesn't entirely make sense to think of it that way, but it's something to consider. Everyone got pre-medications, steroids were tapered or stopped at the discretion of the investigator, and everyone got PJP prophylaxis. So the primary endpoint at month 28 was the number of relapses, defined as worsening of ANCA-associated vasculitis symptoms, 
by a VVAS score greater than zero, since everyone had to be zero on admission. Secondary endpoints were the number of major relapses, defined as life-threatening or involving at least one major organ, and the number of minor relapses. They also looked at the vascularized damage index to see if patients accumulated damage throughout the trial, which was a good thing to do. The statistics were all more or less appropriate, and the trial was done in an intention-to-treat principle. So let's talk about the patients. They wound up assessing 166 and randomizing 163. Each group wound up having 81 patients, and there are five discontinuing the intervention in the individually tailored group and seven in the fixed schedule group, so probably not significantly different. And then, as I said, at the end of the trial, they're all analyzed with intention to treat. So let's talk a little bit about these patients. Patients were around 60 years old. They're predominantly male. Most of them had GPA. Most were newly diagnosed, about 63%, and the majority had received cytoxin for induction treatment. That's another interesting caveat for this trial. In America, I think the majority of people are probably using rituximab for induction therapy, as opposed to this trial where 64% got cyclophosphamide. So this is probably a difference between how the French practice in here. This was a French multicenter trial. At enrollment, the median dose of prednisone was 10 milligrams, which is kind of interesting. That does speak to the time when they were enrolled. These people weren't enrolled when they first got diagnosed. They got enrolled six months later when they had started to taper down off their steroid. There is one important caveat. At diagnosis, pretty much everyone was ANCA positive, 96% in the individually tailored group and 91% in the fixed schedule. But at inclusion in the trial, remember this is say six months later after a patient had been already treated with cytoxin or rituximab, there was a a big difference in the ANCA positivity. In the individually tailored group, it was 56%, and in the fixed schedule group, it was 72%. So that's a pretty substantial difference. Why is that a problem? Well, if you have more ANCA positivity in the fixed schedule group, that would suggest that the fixed schedule group is entering the trial at a disadvantage. Perhaps they have more active disease than the people in the individually tailored group. This is the classic problem of killing your control group, where your control group is sicker than the treatment group, if you're calling the treatment group the individually tailored group. And so the control group winds up looking sicker than they would have had they been the same. That will falsely inflate the efficacy of your treatment arm, in this case, the individually tailored group. So what did they find? Regarding the primary endpoint, at month 28, there are 21 patients who had suffered 22 relapses. In the tailored group, that was 17.3%, and in the fixed rituxin group, that was 9.9%. At face value, that sounds different, doesn't it? That's 7.4% difference between groups. If If you flip that and turn it into a number needed to treat, it's something like 12. That being said, this was not statistically significantly different. So the p-value for this was 0.22. This is one of those situations where you start to wonder if perhaps the trial needed to be powered a little bit more. In a cardiology trial with 10,000 people, a 7.4% difference between groups is always significant. The problem with that kind of thinking is that we do have a p-value, and we did power the trial to detect the difference between them that we thought would be clinically meaningful. So in this case, all you can say is that there was no statistically significant difference between the groups. In the back of my mind, though, I do wonder. Regarding the secondary endpoints, relapse-free survival uh, was 83.8% versus 86.4%. Sounds pretty similar. Major relapses occurred at a rate of 7.4% versus 3.4%, also about the same. They did assess damage between the groups. In a post-hoc analysis, there's no statistically significant difference between the two groups. They did this thing where they, de- they developed these Inca evolution profiles. It was kind of interesting academically, but I don't think it's going to change my practice at all, and it didn't really have any clinically, clinical utility in the trial either. Glucocorticoids were not different between the two groups, which is another important endpoint. 
rituximab infusions were different. So this would be the benefit of this trial if you were to try to find one. Tailored infusion patients got 248 infusions, and the fixed schedule group got 381 infusions. That's a pretty big difference. So in the tailored group, 13% of the time they received infusions because of incotiters rising, 50% of the time it was because of circulating B cells reappearing, and 36% of the time it was because of both. I actually think that's interesting and deserves note. We expect the B cells to come back pretty much regardless, whereas the anchotires could theoretically go negative and stay negative. So I think it's important to note that anchotires actually only came up by themselves 13% of the time. The rest of the time, we're at least treating in part because the B cells was going on. As far as safety is concerned, there was no significant difference in adverse events. Um, I don't think this study was necessarily power to detect that. It was relatively small to find a big difference. So that's that. Based on this data, the authors concluded that ANCA-associated vasculitis relapse rates, according to individually tailored or fixed schedule rituximab infusion regimens, did not differ significantly. However, those benefiting from personalized patient-centered care received fewer infusions and hence total lower rituximab doses. I think that's a supportable conclusion from the trial. Like I said, there was no statistically significant difference between the groups. I have a couple caveats here. There was that 7.4% difference in relapse rates, but it wasn't statistically significant. You wonder if a larger trial would have found a larger relapse rate. But again, we powered the trial the way we powered it, and it's not necessarily fair to say that. One other caveat is that there was a higher degree of incapacitivity in the fixed group. Perhaps they had more serologically active disease, or perhaps they didn't go into as strong or as durable of a remission as the, uh, as the tailored therapy group. Why is that a problem? Well, maybe that difference between the two groups would have been much larger if the groups had been equivalent at baseline. They weren't, so we can't say for certain. And then finally, I would be curious to see what happened if they'd been given a gram of rituximab instead of a half a gram, as we do here in the States. That would, if anything, favor the tailored therapy group. So perhaps the way we practice here, where we're given a little more rituxin, it helps a little bit longer. The caveat to that, though, is that if you think of it from a pathophysiologic perspective, it's not clear to me why giving more rituximab would matter. It, you can only wipe out your B cells to zero. You can't have negative B cells. The final caveat I wanted to talk about was the fact that this was an open-label trial. They did a nice job in trying to have an independent blinded monitoring board assess relapses, so that's a strength of the trial. But the patients themselves and the physicians both knew which arm the patients were in. You could see this changing practice pattern subtly in some ways. All that being said, I think this is a very interesting trial, and it's definitely impacted how I practice. So I generally have been given a gram every six months. After seeing this data, I'm more likely to give half a gram uh, if I see a benefit to doing that. The other thing is that if a patient would like to space, I am going to start sending B cells and ANCAs to see if the titers are rising. If the ANCA titers, in particular the PR3 ANCA, which has been associated with relapses in the past, is rising, then I would probably recommend redosing rituximab. In practice, I've had a couple patients say that they don't like the variable dosing rituximab. They feel like they start to flare before they wind up getting the next medication. But I think this is a patient-specific thing. I can imagine a lot of patients really preferring to receive less infusions and less rituximab overall. So that's that for this week. I hope that was helpful. There won't be a podcast this coming weekend, as I think we'll all be at the American College of Rheumatology meeting in Chicago. Looking forward to seeing you all there. 